Welcome to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. Every other week, Andreas and I are joined by a European VC champion to shed light on this wonderful world of VC. If you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to David or myself through LinkedIn or at theeuropeanvc.com. If you're about to raise an international round, let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant VCs. EUVC is the show that will get you up close and personal with some of Europe's finest. So do follow us on your preferred podcasting platform. For today's episode, we're featuring Chris Smith, Kaufman Fellow, Class of 25, contributor to Forbes and managing partner at Playfair Capital. Playfair was founded back in 2013 by an angel investor turned VC to bring together the passion and excitement of angel investing with the benefits of a fund. They focus on deep tech, but love being a generalist fund. Playfair has invested in several industries, infrastructure, shipping, aviation, waste management, health, and so on and all across different countries, the UK, Israel, and Ireland so far, but the list will definitely grow. This is the first part of a two-part episode with Chris Smith, so I can tell you, we have a lot in store for you. Collaboration is a way of life at Playfair. They truly believe in working with others to drive positive impact in the ecosystem and local communities, something we actually really relate to here at the UVC. To name a few, their portfolio includes the likes of Mapillary, which was actually acquired by Facebook, Crypto Facilities, which in itself was acquired by Kraken, Omnipresent, Orca AI, Ravlin, Sprout AI, Throt Machine, Truva, and Vinehouse. We'd like to highlight Playfair's Female Founder Office Hours, an initiative where they facilitate female founder investor introductions. The Female Founder Office Hours went from a small gathering at Playfair's offices to a virtual gathering of 90 investors and more than 200 founders. It's tackling two key problems faced by female founders, lack of funding. In fact, for every one pound of venture capital investment in the UK, all female founder teams get less than one penny. Lack of access to investors, this is a particular problem for female founders who doesn't have the easy access to a warm introduction. So we have to say, if you haven't had the opportunity yet, we highly recommend you go over to Playfair's website for their great content and inspiration and sign up for their events, just like female founder office hours. Chris, welcome to the UVC. How is everything? Guys, thanks so much for having me. Everything's great. In fact, we were back in the office uh, this week. So buzzing from seeing the team and... I think mostly enjoying this absolutely crazy market at the moment. I actually remember you saying that you liked face-to-face interactions. Let's deep dive into that. But I can understand that the going back to the offices is exciting for you. Awesome. Great to hear. I know that writing and I guess reading as well is somewhat of a passion for you. And I would love to start off on more on the personal side. Where does that passion come from? And I dare to ask, what has been your favorite thing to write so far? Not sure exactly where it came from, but I do remember as a child always carrying around a little notebook and writing stories. Uh, my parents told me they were good. Um, they probably weren't. You know, my parents are very kind. Positive <laughs> reinforcement, right? We <laughs> <laughs> the creative aspect of writing. And I think, to be honest, when I became a lawyer, all that, you know, writing became drafting. So all the creativity kind of got sucked out of things for nearly 10 years. I think it was probably recently, maybe 18 months ago, I basically picked up the pen again and tried to just have fun with writing. Whether it's the Playfair blog or Forbes, I kind of just reignited and found that sort of enthusiasm and fun. I guess I just enjoy the process of putting my thoughts down on paper. And, you know, occasionally when I get some nice feedback, it's a really nice 
marketing as well. And uh, I'm sure there's plenty of that, Chris. <laughs> You're putting out, out some great content and, and we have the warmest recommendation for everyone here uh, on the UVC to go and read it, especially one of your latest pieces of writing on how founders should think about getting access to VCs and what they should think about when they start talking to investors. I really particularly like that and we'll, of course, put it in the show notes here. But Chris, I want to dial back to an interview back in 2015 done with Fede and Fede is the founding partner of Playfair Capital. He explained that the motivations behind building Playfair wasn't exactly the same as you always see for VCs and also the LPs investing in it because you've gotten a very different LP structure out of that than what you normally see. And this was six years ago and it was well before you joined the team, but I'm quite sure that this is something that is carrying through all the way into your activities today. Could you explain us how you see that? Yeah, of course. So I, th I think it's two things. I think it's the LP structure, so it's still just fitting. And I think it's also his motivation, right? So he started Playfair because he wanted to have a positive impact on the world. And he tried a few things once he graduated. So he worked for NGOs, charities, and startups in Africa first. And he enjoyed it, but I think it didn't quite have the impact that he, he'd hoped for. So he actually found that impact through writing checks into startups as an angel. And I think particularly backing first-time founders and then seeing them grow their companies. So when they start hiring people and they start, you know, having a meaningful impact in their market, that was what really excited him. And I guess he found his passion. So as you say, that's really carried through to how we do things today. Yeah, it kind of, it's a few things, I think, how it plays out. So, you know, on a practical side, we have a lot more time because we don't have to go out fundraising. And I'm grateful for that every single day. <laughs> so, I'm sure. You know, we... I don't know what that figure is, but like we we probably say we have about 40, 50% more time to work with our founders. And that is a real luxury. So that's clearly a huge advantage. And then equally, I don't think we have such a pressure either to deploy capital at the outset or have to keep such an eye on when we need to return that capital. So if you're looking at things like deep tech investments, we really can take a very long-term view. So that's a pretty material difference with the LP structure. And I think culturally, we kind of still act like angels. We're just really fortunate to be able to write, you know, bigger checks to be able to follow on and support those founders through, through subsequent rounds. So I guess that probably the founder, he just said to us, you know, the first meeting is so much different from other funds or how I expected it to be, as in you didn't asked me to pull up an Excel sheet and talk me through the financial model, you actually asked me about my background and, and like where I'm from and why I'm building this company, as in you wanted to get to know me was kind of a different approach and a different experience for the founder. And I think that's what we do care about. You know, we care about the people building the company. And then maybe the final thing is just this, this idea of, I guess, alignment or what I kind of got like emotional alignment. So we only invest in, in founders and, and companies if we are passionate about what the founders are building. So we've passed on quite a few opportunities where we can see the potential to build a successful, profitable business, right? We can see the opportunity, but we're just not passionate about it. And that doesn't make sense to us. We want to be passionate because when we get out of bed in the morning, we want to be driven to help our founders. So... I think those are probably all the things that Fede kind of instilled in us, either 
culturally or because of the LP structure? I don't know if you can speak to this, but I can't help but think that you see most funds starting out in, in, in one size and then they're growing from there. With a single LP, I guess there is a limit to that growth or, or at least it's very much contingent on what he wants to do. How does the partnership around it think and what is Fedder's thoughts on this? I think what, how a lot of VCs think is that being small is like the starting point. So yeah, exactly. you naturally want to go further up the capital structure because, well, one thing's attractive is you can get bigger management fees, right? So <laughs> I can pay myself a bigger salary. I don't think we've ever thought that way. Actually, we love where we live on the capital structure. So for us, pre-seed and seed investing is the place we want to stay. Would we be happy with a slightly bigger fund next time? Of course, a little bit bigger. But actually, do we want to do like a billion dollar fund? Not really. <laughs> like I think this getting in early and working with founders is what we want to do. So for us, never say never. But I think the current structure that we have with FedA support allows us to just do so much good stuff. I'd be quite reluctant to change it. Let me come back to the third point you brought up previously, which is about alignment and about being passionate. And sorry for putting you on the spot. But then what is Playfair passionate about? You know, if I'm a founder out there and I'm building something, I'm hopefully very passionate myself. So what are the lines in which you guys feel like you are truly doing something that excites you? This is kind of annoying for founders, right? So I think there are things that each member of the team is passionate about. So I know that Henrik, for example, is passionate about InsureTech. I know that Jivan is not. <laughs> I know that Jivan is really excited about different things than Henrik. And I know that I'm passionate about autonomous transportation, for example, and I love health tech, but I don't like diagnostics or therapeutics. So there are things that we can tell founders in advance. And generally, we include those on our LinkedIn profiles. So that's a good place for founders to check out if they want to get a sense of what we like. But we don't like to be that restrictive because sometimes founders come to us with an idea that we've never heard of before, right? We believe that founders are best place to tell us what the yeah. future holds. Yeah. And so we don't know. I actually just got off a pitch before this podcast. I'm not just exactly what it is, but I had no idea about this space even existing. And I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> So I, I think that's one of the joys about, again, being a generalist fund is that we can be very open-minded, but it is an extra factor, right? So every VC is like, we're looking for amazing founders, you know, big markets that grow quickly and great product. We're looking for things we're passionate about. And so what we try and do is if we know in advance, we'll put it on our LinkedIn profiles. If we're not passionate, we'll let you know as soon as we can. So, you know, get the equipment. How does this impact the inner workings of the fund, of the partnership, your decision-making process? It's, you know, when acting like angels, then, you know, angels can make decisions themselves. That's the privilege of an angel. But in a partnership, you still have the structure of everyone needing to be on board with the deal. Or how do you do that? Yes, I think it's made us, well, for me as personally, as an angel, I would make a decision very quickly, often too quickly, <laughs> I guess, if you look at some of my earlier investments. So, I, I think essentially it allows, I'll speak for myself, so I still know very early on if it's likely I'm going to do a deal. So I can get on a call with a founder and maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, with a very good sense, I want to do this deal. The joy of working in a in a fund surrounded by such brilliant people, but also people who have completely different skills to me. So like, you know, Joe is an expert with all things to do with people and talent. You know, Henrik is brilliant on the finance side. Jiran is brilliant on the finance side as well. You know, working with those people means that we all look at the deal differently. And so everyone has something to add. And it is about 
making sure that everyone is is bought in. Technically, our, our IC is myself and Joe as the two partners. And we have Simon Blakey, who's the chair of our IC, who has kind of an advisory vote. And then it goes up to Fede, who gives his approval. That's technically how it works. But I actually think we have a really good process internally of building consensus around the deal. And funnily enough, recently what we've done, because the market is so crazy and we need to move <laughs> quickly, we tend to put the most cynical person about a space on the on the call next. Yeah. So if someone's like, I hate this space, it's really boring. And but we think that but someone loves it and thinks the founder's great, great, you take the next call. And if the founder can convince that person, great. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Uh Chris, uh, let's just start double down on that one because I know that you have a strong opinion on how founders should act in this bull market or who, where deals are happening quicker and quicker. And also VCs maybe. Could you speak to that a bit? Yeah, and I think on the you know, the VC side. VC should behave however they want. I think from my perspective, we've changed a little. I think we have definitely sped up our processes. We acknowledge the fact that founders rightly want quick, clear decisions about what we're going to do on a round. We need to be efficient about how we get information and how we make decisions. But at the same time, we want to build relationships with founders and we want to get to know the company. And I think we're doing a disservice to founders if we don't. So to me, the idea of writing a check after a single call or two calls is just crazy. It's just not how we not how we do things. So that's on the VC side. But again, people have completely different business models. You know, we do six to eight deals a year. We are heavily involved with the founders. We support them. It's a kind of curated approach. Some funds have a much more volume play. And statistically, that kind of works better in seed. So <laughs> come back in 10 years, we'll see who was right. I think on the founder side, though, and I think I wrote this recently, I think founders should be using this market to their advantage. Absolutely. So, you know, get multiple term sheets, you know, get higher offers, do all those things, play the market to your advantage. But this idea of just then pausing and not being forced by the pace of the market to make a very quick decision about entering a relationship with a VC that's going to last you the next five, seven, 10 years. So stopping to think about, are these people really the people I want to work with that I want on my board? Are they really going to add value? If it's not the first round, if it's a subsequent round, how are they going to bed in with my existing investors? How are they going to add additional value? All these questions need to be answered. And I don't think you can answer those in 24 hours. So you just need to take a little time. When we first met, you talked about distributed teams and using my own words, so paraphrasing you to some extent, but not really, you kind of said that globally distributed teams are more resilient and less exposed to geopolitical risks. And I really like this topic <laughs> and I'd love for you to expand a bit more on that. And also, I know that uh, Playfair is doing some stuff in this space, so it's, it's really interesting to hear. Yeah, of course. Um, look, I think the pandemic, I very much hope a once in a lifetime event You know, you then got Brexit, which is, of course, more limited to Europe. But this is a bunch of things going on. Of course, actually, what we were just talking about, a very hot VC market, putting a lot of money into tech companies. All of that means it's getting harder to hire talent if you insist on that talent being in one place. So you try and build a business in London or Manchester or Lisbon or wherever. Like if you're tied to one place, it's just getting really hard to quickly build teams, particularly, I think, on the, the tech side. So I think this idea of just trying to broaden out your talent pool and saying, look, I don't really care where you're based. I just want the best people. Is something we're seeing a lot of companies do, either from scratch, just building completely distributed teams, or embracing on a team-by-team -team basis. If particularly the tech teams of our companies, they need to hire like 20 developers in the next three to six months. Not going to happen, right? <laughs> unless you unless you have this distributed approach. So 
yeah, I think it's actually becoming an essential part of building a team. And I think the one thing that's happened is perhaps VCs were a little bit like, no, I want teams to be together. I think there is a value in having people in the same room. That's gone. I think people are like, actually, no, almost the opposite now. There is a value in having the best people on the team even if that's distributed. We've had a lot of guests talking about how much VC is a trust and relationship kind of business in all fronts. And I'm thinking of doing it remote. So I'm thinking about, you know, sourcing deals, but more than sourcing them, actually building that trust and that relationship that you were just talking about a while ago. Doing it remote brings a new layer of complexity to it, in my opinion. How are you looking at it? And what have you changed to deal with that new layer of complexity there? I kind of feel like it's about sort of targeted intervention. So we talk about deals specifically. Even through the pandemic, when we were doing deals, we did some that were fully remote if it felt right, as in it felt right to us and it felt right to the founders. Yeah. We did a couple of deals, including one where it was the founder's first experience of working with a VC fund and taking investment at all, where we really thought it would benefit from half a day spent together face to face. And so we had a, it felt like sort of prohibition era meeting in the ground floor of our building with the shutters down. I'm sure we were compliant. Uh, we, we, we stayed a long way apart and, and sprayed sanitizer at each other. But it was really important to have that three, four hours together in the room. And we broke down so many misunderstandings and so many misconceptions of what this investment was going to mean. So things like the founders believe that we would only see them once a month. <laughs> and we said, what? No, no, we'll be on WhatsApp with you guys. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I think we, you, you just have to look at each potential investment, I think, on its merits. So some you can do fully remote, some you need to have meetings. I think increasingly people have started having walks in the park. We've been doing that with a number of our founders. So absolutely face-to-face -face has its place. I think hopefully as restrictions get lifted, I can absolutely see a two-day-a-week, three-day-a-week scenario where people are going back to cities and spending a bit more time face-to-face. -face. And I think with my team, the biggest thing I feel is actually that the more junior, the younger members of the team are probably the ones that are going to miss out if we don't go back to the office. And so that's why it's been so much fun last week, actually, is just that's how you learn. So I think that's a really important element of getting back in the office. I had here a quote of you, which was, we miss celebrating together, which was something yeah. we talked about last time. But at the same time, we also talked about the fact that you guys were starting or just started, I'm not sure about the timings there, an analyst program in full remote, you know? So, so yeah. that, that's a challenge. How's that going? <laughs> yeah, so, so Cushy, Cushy's brilliant. So Cushy is based in Brisbane, which is, yeah, it is a challenge because mainly because of the time zone. <laughs> so I think what's been interesting is when we were still remote, it actually didn't matter where we were. So, so you know, if you're in London, Reading, or Brisbane, it actually doesn't matter. You're just on a computer. I think noticeably when we've come back to the office, that is slightly different because all of us, apart from Cushy, are in the building together. And so I think she's researching how to get on a plane as soon as possible, <laughs> lobbying, the, lobbying the Australian government to let, let her out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so that definitely makes it a little bit more challenging. But Look, I think we've got the tools, you know, we've got the video tools, the messaging tools. It's about being thoughtful. It's about including people in those celebrations. And sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating, but you just have to be aware of it. So it can definitely work and it's it's working so far. I'm curious, Chris, because now we've, we've been through COVID, we're opening up everywhere. To what extent do you see that your process has shifted and also your focus as to whether you'll still primarily be doing 
deals in the UK versus the rest of Europe or even even the world? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think actually the last couple of deals, so we recently did a deal in Dublin, a bit of business called Nori. We're looking at a business in Berlin now. I just got off a pitch with a founder who's actually based in Canada, although he's moving to London. I think the venture business has become more international, probably accelerated by the pandemic and the ease of everyone talking to each other on this level, playing field, this idea, which doesn't matter where you are. So, so from my perspective, we've always been very open-minded about where we invest. I think in, in fun too, we've already invested in yeah, UK, Ireland, Singapore, Israel, France. We are pretty open-minded. And ultimately, in what is a very competitive market, actually, it's worth saying it's a busy market, it's a competitive market. I think what we're good at is a stage. So we are good at pre-seed and seed, working really closely with founders and taking them through to a you know, successful Series A, hitting certain milestones and business metrics. You know, so why limit ourselves to the UK? It just doesn't make any sense. David and I are often talking about founders outside of the hotspots, and we're seeing COVID being hopefully one of the forces that is going to change that capital tend to flow to the hotspots. And the cities you mentioned, while it's not the UK and London, it is still hotspots, it's still Berlin, it's still uh, Singapore. How do you see capital shifting towards the outbacks of countries? We have an open pitch form on our website, mm -hmm. which doesn't discriminate on where you come from. And I actually don't think we care. We look at every deck, you know, with an open mind. And actually, the one thing I've really noticed, it just come to me now, but People don't put telephone numbers on anymore. I know. So, <laughs> yeah. so I used to look for area codes. It'd be like, oh, you're in London or whatever. You know. So sometimes we don't even know where the company is based or headquartered. And actually, what is what is a headquarter anymore? It doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. anything. So, I actually think that your theory of capital flowing more, as you say, away from the traditional tech, the hotspots in Europe. Absolutely, I think that should happen. Uh, we were talking to founders based in Ukraine a week or so ago. Would love to invest there. Um, we haven't found the right company yet, but I, I think it's going to happen. I don't see any reason why it won't. The key thing that needs to happen, I do think those ecosystems need to develop a little bit the expertise, a little bit the approach. And I do think some of that is still slightly a local issue. Mm -hmm. So we need to think about that a little bit. But, you know, I say we made our first investment in, in Dublin. I don't know whether you consider Dublin a hotspot or not. But typically what happened before, in my experience, was actually that a lot of entrepreneurs from Dublin would have come to London. Yeah because it's so close. And now a lot of entrepreneurs are staying in Dublin. Mm -hmm. So you can even see that subtle shift happening, whether it's a geopolitical thing or whether it's because of COVID, I don't know, maybe it's both. But yeah, I don't think geography is anything like as important as it was. And I'm curious here because how do you see this impacting your deal flow strategy? I know that you're writing for Forbes already and have been doing that for some time, but I'm guessing that, that getting your word out there and acting as a magnet is going to be more important than before. Yeah, I, I think so. The one thing about sort of deal sourcing is that I have no idea where deals are going to come from. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of VCs are like, oh, we have this really well-defined deal sourcing strategy. I mean, we do. But by the same token, you've no idea where the next deal is going to come from. So I could bump into someone on a, on a plane, hopefully. That'd be so nice. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it could be at a conference or some random angel I invested with in a deal six years ago could email me out of the blue about a company in Dublin, which is how we invested in, uh, in Norrie. You've no idea. So I think that, yes, it is definitely about building profile. It's definitely about writing useful content. It's definitely about being accessible, I think, is really important. So, you know, our open pitch form, 
our accessibility is key. You know, we want people to know that they can come to us. We want people to know they can engage. They're going to get useful feedback from us, you know, anytime they talk to us. And then I think our, our outbound process is becoming a lot more focused. Each member of the team becoming a lot more focused on that, their areas of interest and then driving that, but less regard to geography and more just to themes. So go back to being interested in tech. It's not tech in the UK. It's tech European-wide and trying to find the best-in-class founders, you know, for that particular sector. This was the end of the first part of our two-part episode with Chris Smith, managing partner at Playfair Capital. Do tune in for the second part, which will air in just seven days. We'll pick right up where we ended this talk and continue into discussing Playfair's very hands-on value add to founders, where instead of just handing out the latest version of the fund's recruitment book, actually get in there and screen CVs on Sunday nights. But this was it for today, guys. Don't forget to follow us at the European VC or whichever podcasting platform you prefer. And get in touch with us if you have any suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes.